Welcome to Hoof on the Till, our weekly look at all things racing. Helen Thomas and Max Pressner with you again. And Max, what a weekend we've got to look forward to, particularly at Flemington with, of course, the Group 1 Turnbull Stakes, the Bart Cummings, which is a ticket into the Melbourne Cup. But I guess we can't really not look back at this point because you were particularly thrilled with what happened at Randwick last weekend. Yes, uh, I think you can basically term it as Ladies' Day, Helen, because uh, it was a, a wonderful result for females. I say wonderful result for the female jockeys. We had uh, Rachel King uh, in the Metropolitan. We had Cathy O'Hara in the Epsom. Two difficult races. They were two difficult rides. The whips were out. Tactics were vital. And Cathy O'Hara and Rachel King came through with flying colours. Uh, and then again, of course, we had the the Gay Waterhouse influence uh, on the program. And Gay now these days she's uh, she's in partnership uh, with the, with uh, Adrian Bott, and they had three winners. They they took the trifecta in the gym crack. Wherever you look, uh, you know the the female gender is starting is booming booming as far as racing is concerned. Certainly is, and you mentioned two year old racing there with Gay trifectaing the breeder's plate. We'll be looking at the issues involved with early two-year-old racing a little bit later in the show. But right now, let's focus in on that Group 1 race at Flemington on Saturday afternoon, the Turnbull Stakes, of course, and it sees the debut, if you like, the Aussie debut of the horse from Hong Kong, Romantic Warrior. And who better than to do that with than Greg Carpenter? He's now the head of racing product and handicapper at Hong Kong Jockey Club, and he joins us again right now on Hoof on the Tilt. It's a pleasure to join you and Max, Helen. It's uh, been a little while. I'm glad to see that you've got the band back together. Um, always a pleasure to join you both. Of course, uh, Greg, the most intriguing runner at Flemington, probably in Australia over the weekend, is Romantic Warrior from Hong Kong. And he goes around in the Turnbull. Now, you're well experienced with the Turnbull. You know what it takes to win the Turnbull. You're well experienced with Romantic Warrior, but he's had to journey over here and uh, you should be able to give us an insight into just how good he is and how well you think he'll go. I have to admit, Max, as we lead into the Turnbull Stakes at Flemington on Saturday, I'm a little bit nervous knowing how good the horse is and the nervousness comes from the fact that I I do want him to perform as I know he can. Um, There have been... A lot of challenges for the horse to come to Australia to run in the Turnbull on Saturday, heading towards the Cox Plate, his ultimate goal, on October the 28th. And I really don't know that Australian racing fans properly appreciate the challenges that overseas horses do have to undertake when they go to Australia to compete. Um, He will have to have gone through a number of veterinary protocols He'd have to endure the most uh, challenging and arduous quarantine rules of any country in the world. Two weeks here in Hong Kong before he left, and then two weeks at Werribee. So he's a, a month a month in quarantine. It's been well documented that the feed that he has been enjoying uh, here in Hong Kong throughout his career uh, was not able to be sent to Australia, so he had to adapt to a different feed. Um he will be going left-handed for the first time. The two tracks here in Hong Kong both turn right-handed, Sha Tin and Happy Valley. Um, and it won't be a case of him just walking out of his box 45 minutes before the race um, into the tie-up stalls 
and out onto the track. He's going to have to go on the float to to uh, Werribee to Flemington. Uh, horses have to be on course three hours before the race in those circumstances in Victoria. So there are lots of things that he's going to have to um, go through for the first time to really perform at his very best on Saturday. But I'm really encouraged by the feedback that Danny Shum has given since he's been down in Australia about how well he settled in with he took a companion down with him, Romantic Charm, so they've been able to keep themselves company. And uh, having seen the footage of him working at Flemington on Sunday and the way he clicked up in the last 100 metres of that gallop, uh, I think he's ready to run a really good race on Saturday and I think he'll be at his peak for the Cox Plate uh, three weeks later. One of the reasons that he's in Australia, of course, is that James McDonald, his rider, knows him well. Um, he's unbeaten on Romantic Warrior. He won the Hong Kong International last December against world-class opposition by a big margin, four and a half lengths, um, and beat some outstanding horses. And then in the Queen Elizabeth here at the end of April, um, he again beat two outstanding horses, Dubai Honour, who uh, racing fans in Australia will know well. He won the Randvert and then beat Animo in the Queen Elizabeth, and, and Prognosis, who ran second, has since come out and won the Sapporo Kinnan at his only other run in Japan by four lengths. So the form is world-class. If he runs to his best Greg, form, he will win the Turnbull. What sort of an individual will Flemington racegoers see? When he walks on into the enclosure, is he an excitable type? How do you think that we should judge when he does show us what he's what he's all about the, the horse himself for the first time when he comes into the parade ring on saturday he won't take the breath away with his um looks necessarily but he's all racehorse greg that is such a, an exciting overview let's leave it there and come back to you if we may in a couple of weeks maybe just in front of the cox plate and certainly before the melbourne cup really looking forward to it helen and as i said I'm, i am nervous having invested so much in, in observing this horse um, in my time in Hong Kong and, and knowing how good he is. For him, for his owner, Peter Lau, who um, him and Danny Schum have actually taken up the challenge to come to Melbourne. And I've become very much of the view that if horse racing is going to survive and stay relevant for sporting fans around the world, people must embrace international competition. It would have been very easy for these two to have sat here in Hong Kong on their own turf and won big prize money year in, year out. They've taken the horse to Australia. They've taken up a huge challenge. Um, they've done it at the right time when he's at the peak of his powers. And I hope they're rewarded for that sportsmanship because I think international competition and people like Peter Lau and Danny Shub are going to be the sorts of people that will ensure the future of horse racing as a relevant sport going forward into the future. Well, we look forward to talking to you about that in much more detail. But for now, Greg Carpenter, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Helen. Greg Carpenter is Head of Racing Product and Handicapping at the Hong Kong Jockey Club. And, Max, we've been talking a little bit already this uh, week about the rise or dominance, if you like, of Australian women in racing. And I think it's fair to say there was no better display of feminine strength and beauty than Imperatriz 
win in the Group 1 Moyer Stakes at Mooney Valley last Friday night. And I'm delighted to say we have her owner and the chief behind Tiako Racing with us now on the line from New Zealand. David Ellis, good morning and thank you for joining Hoof on the Till. Good morning. Can I just ask, am I right in saying that Imperature is actually is Portuguese for Empress? <laughs> My wife Karen does all the naming of the horses, so you'd have to ask her that, but that's probably right. It's a fantastic name, don't you think, Max? Yes, yes. Oh, well, I know that you're always, uh, you know, vitally interested in names, but I'm vitally interested in big races. And David, why isn't Imperatriz in the Everest? Uh, well, um, we just feel that she's very happy in Melbourne. And uh, with mares, we like to run them in Group 1 races. And uh, she likes the left-handed way round of Melbourne, and she's very happy down there. And after a long trip from New Zealand, I don't think that she needs the trip, uh, a nine-hour float trip up to um, Sydney. So we're just happy to stick to the Group 1 races. Very few owners, I think, wouldn't be tempted by a $20 million prize. And while you say, David, that she's not as good in Sydney, by gee, her only run in Sydney was, uh, I thought, uh, uh, pretty outstanding. Well, she was beaten in a photo finish by Arturius, who on his day gets the right breaks in the run, is a top-class Group 1 horse. So when you, she mightn't be the Imperatress that you know, but, oh, gee, she, she was good in Sydney on that occasion. Yep, she's a high-class mare. We bought her at the um, Magic Millions at the Gold Coast at the January sale. And right from the beginning, she showed a lot. She won her first two starts, including a group two as a two-year-old. And, um, you know, she's been uh, a great filly for the stable uh, each season. David, um, the money aspect doesn't seem to, to draw you like it would draw other owners. And like I note, uh, Imperatrez would have um, earned in excess of, oh, what, two and a half million. She's... Uh, She's won 15 out of 21 starts. Oh, for a horse of, well, a mare of her ability, by gee, that seems to be a very light return. Um, yeah, well, she's running at Flemington. That's a $3 million race. And um, uh, she's running again at um, Mooney Valley in a couple of weeks' time on Cox Plate Day. So um, it'll, it'll um, increase. And we look at the horse not the money. She's happy in Melbourne and uh, that, that's what we've decided to do. You know, 20 million sounds good, but there's a lot of comes out before the owners see that too, as you both know. David, uh, you stressed that group one aspect. Now, if the Everest was a group one, uh, would that have influenced you towards running in the Sydney race? Probably. Probably would definitely have a look at it. Now, Romantic Warrior, is running in the Turnbull at Flemington. Romantic Warrior is from Hong Kong and has earned nearly $15 million. Now, I just don't think Romantic Warrior, different style of horse, different style of races, but I just can't seem you know, being worth that much more money than your mare. But how is, how is the racing industry going in New Zealand? The racing industry in New Zealand is just so exciting. Stakes have literally doubled in the last, uh, two years. Uh, they've gone up by probably 25% in the last um, three months. 
and uh, we're very, very excited about um, what Entain are doing for racing, and uh, it's certainly a very exciting time to be in racing in New Zealand, that's for certain. David, uh, I know I've stressed the prize money aspect uh, in our in our uh, discussion today, but look, I, I'm really, uh, I'm, look, taken with your enthusiasm for racing and the horse and and looking after your mare, and that's tremendous. And I do think, like uh, in so many aspects of this this wonderful industry, sport, call it what you will, money has taken over. So look, it's it's um, enlightening to to hear your views and and to to hear the way that you're looking after this wonderful sprinting mare. And the only downside is, mate. Oh, gee, we'd like to see her again in Sydney. <laughs> well, I'm sure that she will be in Sydney one day but it won't be this spring. You know, we've got the future. We hope that Imperatrice can race for another 12 months. And, um, you know, we can always look at it next year, but we've made the decision that we'll be looking after her this season and that she'll be staying in Melbourne where she's really happy. David, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Well, Max, these are really interesting and important issues. And another one that sort of bubbled to the surface again a couple of weeks ago was the fact that two-year-old racing, particularly early two-year-old racing, places different stresses on a horse. And uh, this was brought to light again by Proven Thoroughbreds in a tweet, actually, when uh, it was just, I think it was on September the 20th, it was just after the first uh, official trials for two-year-olds in Sydney. Jamie Walter is, of course, one of the principal characters within Proven Thoroughbreds, and he's with us now. Jamie, good to have you on Hoof on the Till. Thank you very much, Helen. Good morning. Let's talk about what prompted this, not just a tweet, but it was also um, a, an article written on your website. Yes, well, look, um, following those two-year-old trials in, in recent years, uh, it's virtually been turned into a race meeting, the first two-year-old trial, with the with the media coverage and, and the hype on the performance of these horses in, dare I keep saying, a trial not a race, and so early in these horses' careers, seeing these million-dollar colts put under a lot of pressure, hit with the whip and things like that in September, um, prompted us to do a little bit of research on it. And the, the research basically revealed what we already knew, that the attrition rate from putting pressure on horses early is, is quite high. Now, in saying that, uh, I'm the first to concede two-year-old racing uh, has a major role to play in Australian, in the Australian racing landscape and indeed the breeding landscape because uh, golden slipper winners in the last 30 or 40 years have become a huge influence on our sire ranks. Almost though, to the detriment of us, our appreciation of, of horses who've um, had to wait a bit longer to reach their peak. But I'm pleased to say, uh, Helen, that in the last decade, it would appear as if the Cox Plate is becoming nearly as significant as the Golden Slipper in terms of um, production of sires. Jamie, I put a couple of points to you. A, I don't think we're breeding uh, 
with a few exceptions, notable exceptions, as good a horse as we once did. I think going back, we bred good horses who raced well as two-year-olds. I put that to you, and I do take your point about these young horses at the barrier trials being, uh, well, for want of a better word, punished, sent to the line. You could say taught to hit the line. But uh, going back to the old days when they had the barrier trials, official trials, 20, 20, 25 heats at Randwick, followed by Canterbury. Before that, they had barrier trials at Rosebury. The young horses weren't put under that much pressure. They weren't under the whip. They weren't forced to the line as much as I noted at the at the current set uh, this year. Well, there's such hype, as I say, on these trials, Max, and the breeder's plate has become a sort of stepping stone, if you like, uh, to a potential stallion career. And look, there have been some very good breeder's plate winners who've gone on and won golden slippers and indeed become good stallions. But I think if you operate on the principle that the earlier you get stuck into a horse, the less time you've got them for. And that sort of highlights a, a, a trend, if you like, in the last 30 years where our top stallions have shorter and shorter race careers. Once they've jagged a golden slipper or, or another group one or two, it's deemed sufficient to go to start. Now, you're quoting an era where horses might have stepped out as two-year-olds, but they raced on. Nowadays, commercially, uh, these horses have become so valuable because the formula of a, a group one winner of two or three performing well at stud has, has worked so well that commercially, uh, it's deemed too great a risk to race them on, which is why I absolutely applauded the decision of Godolphin to race on with Animo. He nearly won a Cox Plate as a three-year-old, having performed very well at two. And for them to come back and race him through his four-year-old season, and I think in, he snared more group ones in that season than any of his other seasons at uh, racing. I thought that was a really brave decision in the current climate, and hopefully it'll be rewarded. Jamie, just on the subject of the early two-year-olds, particularly the breeders' plate on the gym crack, uh, Daniel O'Sullivan, uh, a wonderful ratings expert, uh, pointed out uh, in racing.com this year that 172 two-year-olds have contested these two races since 2016 and only one has gone on and been placed in the golden slipper. And uh, really, I, I, again, uh, the racing of these youngsters, these uh, immature horses, it, uh, it makes you wonder about it. But uh, the history, once upon a time, I think they did go on. But against that, you get trainers too. Now, your trainer, Joe Pride, is not a two-year-old trainer. And, of course, Joe Pride trains your two horses that... Uh, uh, major Everest contenders, a uh, private eye and think about. Yes, indeed. Uh, Joe um, is a very, very patient trainer and it's one of his great virtues because uh, every horse that goes through Joe's system 
is given every opportunity to mature before they're pressured and therefore you know every chance to to fulfill whatever potential they've got on the racetrack and the point i touched on earlier the inverse of the earlier you start with them the shorter you've got with them the the later you start with them hopefully the longer you'll have them for too because joe's trained some some old warriors hasn't he when you look at eduardo who was performing so well at nine think about it favorite for the everest had his first start the day before his fourth birthday so hopefully we'll be rewarded with him and he'll, he can race on for for several seasons to come Everest prospects, uh, private eye season, think about it, still on the way up. But one aspect of your involvement in this race is the amount of owners you've got in these horses. I think syndication is a wonderful thing. One of the, the great attributes of modern racing compared with the past. Now, how many owners would you have involved in these horses? What sort of numbers are we talking about, Jamie? Max, private eyes, um bit over 20 think about it's more a bit over more like a bit over 30. so yes we have a lot of people involved and i couldn't agree with you more what a great thing for racing it is to have people from all walks of life dare i say involved in these two horses uh, and one of the great virtues of syndication i think is that brings all these people together and the ripple effect having a horse like this through all their respective families and work colleagues it's it's quite extraordinary but i think that's that represents the future of ownership in australia when i got into syndication about 25 years ago racing's ownership was a little bit different because going back even further, when I was a kid, uh, the main owners in racing were, were wealthy graziers, individuals. The owners of tomorrow are going to be the major studs and syndicates. I think individuals or even sort of three or four mates getting together and race a horse the way they used to is a thing of the past because of the expense. But the three or four mates can still race a horse within a syndicate of be it you know 20 25 30 whatever it's a it's a wonderful thing that is highlighted in in australian racing today jamie walter from proven thoroughbreds on hoof Max, one of the races we've already mentioned is, of course, the Group 1 Turnbull Stakes at Flemington on Saturday. And as we've also touched on, Romantic Warrior, the uh, outstanding horse from Hong Kong, is making his Australian debut. Of course, there's been a lot of talk about his ability to race well, not just on Saturday, but in Australia generally, because he hasn't been eating. And I thought it was a good idea. I, I know he's back on his tucker now, but a good idea to get a sense of just how hard it is to travel horses these days. In 2023, you'd think it would be a bit easier, but obviously it's not. Andrew Clark is a vet. He's also the head honcho at Living Legends. Yes, good morning, Helen. Good morning, Max. 
The big question is, uh, with Romantic Warrior, as Helen was getting to, it isn't as easy as we think. Could you just run us through the the procedures of getting Romantic Warrior here and, and then the care and attention he's got to have to acclimatise? Yeah, well, the big challenge, there's, there's a couple of issues, Max, with these horses. The first one is they've got to go into quarantine, obviously. Then there's the flight. There's then quarantine issues back at this end as well. Flight travel has improved a lot. Like uh, I worked in, in Europe back 30 years ago, and there was quite a few issues with horses getting respiratory tract infections, etc., and it related to air quality of the flight. So the big thing is to make sure the air conditioning's going well, um, give the horses a chance to have their heads down, monitor them that way. Um, on the feed front, which was the challenge with Romantic Warrior, Often when horses travel, they go off their feed anyway. They can lose 5% of their their weight. So, you know, you've got a 500-kilo horse. You can be looking at they can drop 25 kilos. That relates to them not eating, a little bit of dehydration, having a wee, etc. When you get them to the other end, you obviously want them to get back on their feed as soon as possible. I think the, the other issue for Romantic Warrior was that he's very picky with his feed um, and they couldn't initially get their get his uh, American feed that they feed him in Hong Kong into Australia. But I see they have got the feed and the horse is back on his on his feed. So the food is one issue. Um, the stress of travel is another issue. So there's quite a few things to to work on. Um, in terms of Werribee as well for Romantic Warrior, he's going to be used to working on the um, the all-weather track, like the non-turf. Um, so that shouldn't be an impact for him. I think there's a little question sometimes with the international horses, especially the European horses, where they go to Werribee. They do a lot of work on the inside all-weather track, the synthetic track. Um, that change of surface can have a, quite an impact on horses that haven't done a lot of work on that type of surface as well. So there can be some little aches and pains potentially that come off that. So, yeah, I guess long answer to a short question there, Max, but there's quite a few challenges to tick off along the way with these horses travelling. IG travelling has improved, though, Andrew. When I consider or when I recall that once upon a time, to take a two-year-old from Sydney to Canberra for the Black Opal, it was a dead set no-no because they just never came back as good. Now you're talking about horses coming from Europe, horses coming from Hong Kong. Obviously, veterinary science has got better at it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's just little things like when I when I worked in England, I used to work with one of the big racing yards and we'd fly horses England to Ireland for a race, you know, and they were propeller planes. And one of the interesting things to me was these 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 were sort of passenger planes that have basically had the seats taken out of them. And when the horses flew, they 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 their ears popped a lot. So there'd be the changes in compression and the horses had really, they'd be rocking their heads when you go up and down because of course the horse has got the eustachian tubes, the guttural pouch, which is a sort of pocket off the ear area. So, and then when I had a chance, to, I flew from Hong Kong to Australia with Silent Witness and I thought, yeah, I'll be interested to see this because you could go down and watch the horses at takeoff and landing. And there was hardly any movement. So the ears weren't popping to the same extent. You know, so I think there's a lot that has improved. Des Leiden in the Irish Equine Centre, he did a lot of work. You know, one of the big no-nos with travel long distance was the horses would get these 
shipping fever, as they call it. They could get a chest infection. Um, and a lot of that was sorted out with the international travel. The worst time, really, that they found for air quality was when the planes were standing on the ground um, in between, you know, breaks. So there's a lot of work done to improve that air quality and then monitoring the horses when they arrive. You know, you can look at, watch the blood test very carefully so you can see if there's any issues and get well in front of it. So again, a long answer to a short question, Max, but there's definitely been amazing improvements in the travel. And just for me, keeping up with the veterinary literature, you see articles continually sort of published on challenges of, of travelling horses and how we can monitor the horses better and steps that can be taken to improve their travel. I think the other thing about this too, we're talking about very, very fit athletes. So a lot of these little changes that could affect the performance of a horse, they're really not health issues, you know, or serious health issues. It's just that to have that peak athletic performance, you've just got to tick every box off. Well, given all that, Andrew, as well as Greg Carpenter's great anticipation about Romantic Warrior stepping out for the first time in Australia on Saturday, it really is going to be fascinating to see him, as well as all the other internationals heading for some of our major races, including the Caulfield and Melbourne Cups for 2023.